This episode of Fuel for the Soul is powered by ASICs. Head over to ASICs.com and sign up for the one ASICs account. It's completely free, and when you sign up, you receive 10% off your first purchase. You also gain access to exclusive colorways on ASICs.com, free standard shipping, special birthday month discounts, and more. Hi, this is Thomas Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Featherstone Nutrition. AKA Feathers. And you're listening to Fuel for the Soul, the podcast where we talk all things hydration and nutrition and how it affects performance. Yeah, and not this is not a show for people that don't perform. Uh, I guess, you know. No, it is not. You can't be on the couch eating carbs like we're gonna tell you to do. <laughs> I suppose this is probably not your optimal podcast. Yeah. Anyway, today. That's a different one. That's fuel for the couch. <laughs> today we are <laughs> going to answer as many listener questions as we can in this one sitting. Um, this is sort of like people came to us with questions that didn't merit a full show. Yes. Or maybe we're a little bit repetitive of some stuff that we'd said before. So we're like, you know what? Let's take it and make jambalaya. Put it all in together. It's like a Featherston nutrition recipe. Like, which one would this be? The skillet? Is this our fajita skillet of shows? We got a jambalaya recipe in that new Fuel It Uppy cookbook, too, that you can download for free on my website. Not a plug, but you can. <laughs> you go to FeathestonNutrition.com. You said jambalaya, and, and I was like, that. I got that. <laughs> all right, so... Let's just dive into all these questions. The first one is from Chantel, and let's take a listen. Hi, um, my question uh, concerns pregnant running. I just wanted to know that if you are running pregnant, is there anything that your body requires more of or maybe even less of besides the obvious water? Uh, thank you very much. Have a good one. Okay, I got this one being the only guy on the show. I'm going to tackle this one. <laughs> I figured that was Let me happen. mansplain this to you, to you ladies. Go ahead, Thomas. Take a stab. <laughs> actually, actually, I'm going uh, to be quiet for this one and back out of the room. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, congrats on being pregnant and continuing to want to run. And I think, honestly, most things we need more of when we're pregnant right like we're expanding our blood volume we're building another human we're building all sorts of new tissue in our body to support building another human um so i think you know from a runner standpoint though one of the things that we see a lot of female runners are deficient on is iron so we want to make sure that once we're pregnant our iron needs are like one and a half times what they would have been when we're not pregnant so the likelihood that we're like missing the boat from an iron standpoint once we're pregnant as runners just because most of us aren't getting enough as female runners to begin with um is pretty high so making sure that you know, your doctor knows like, hey, I run a lot. Let's make sure we run, you know, an iron panel and make sure if I need to be supplementing iron on top of a prenatal vitamin that has iron in it, um, that you can do that. And then, of course, overall calorie needs are higher, protein needs are higher, fat, carbs, all of that. It's basically just scaling up how much we're eating from that. And it, you know, varies by trimester. You need a little bit more each trimester. Um, I mean, truthfully, from working with some pregnant runners and also being a pregnant runner at one point, I have found that a lot of people start to slow down with their running, right? Like whether it's intensity or volume, 
as calorie needs from a pregnancy go up. So what I found is a lot of times people, runner, pregnant runners kind of hang with their nutrition needs a little bit more because as it's going up, because their baby's getting bigger and needing more nutrition, their running is going down a little bit. So I've actually found a lot of runners that's pretty steady for if we're going to continue to run or maybe for some runners they're taking such a cut and how much they're able to keep up with their running in the first trimester that their nutrition needs are actually lower so you know a lot of a lot of that depends right on kind of how much we're able to keep running as we're pregnant um but that's kind of very individualized as is all nutrition right well, well give us some um you know obviously we talk a lot about where sources of iron but just in case she doesn't know what are some foods that are high in iron that uh, you can eat during pregnancy? My favorite high iron food are lentils. Red lentils, green lentils, they are through the roof in iron. So things like that, and they make pasta out of that now. You can make like fake taco meat out of lentils. You can make stews out of lentils. So that's one. Um, usually you your GI tract really slows down when you're pregnant, AKA you get constipated. So lentils are also a great source of fiber. So, you know, two stones, two, bird, two stones, one What bird. about them green leafies? Yeah. Green leaf, bee vegetables, have some iron. The highest thing in iron is going to be red meat, like bison, beef, dark meat, chicken. So get yourself a cow. Right. Put a cow in your chest freezer that later you can fill with now, extra milk. Did you have any issues while you're pregnant with foods that you, like, I, I've heard that, like, some people haven't liked various meats or something when they're pregnant. Did you have any trouble with that? You know, I didn't as much. My first trimester with both kids, I was super nauseous. So like all I wanted was carbs, like nothing else sounded good. Vegetables, protein, nothing did. Um, but one of the things for me and kind of off her question that you have to eat less of is I used to eat a ton of tuna and you have to be kind of careful when you're pregnant, how much mercury you're getting. So you're really only supposed to eat like two to three servings of like chunk light tuna a week or of all fish, truthfully. So that kind of sucked. Like I had to find a new protein source because I used to eat tuna like every day at lunch. Um, and But honestly, I didn't have any food aversions. But after both my kids, I started liking different things. So after Smith, I started liking pulled pork when I didn't used to like meat mm. very much and bourbon. Like that's when I started drinking bourbon was after him. And then after Sloan. I don't think that has anything to do with <laughs> with a craving. I think that's having a young child Necessity. now. You're like, pass the bourbon. No, but like I liked the flavor of it. Like I really enjoy the yeah. flavor of it. But you're right too. Um, and then I started eating cucumbers after Sloan. I don't know. So yeah, I really think people's food preferences do change a little bit. But during, I wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Okay, so we know more iron, more calcium, basically calories in general, less mercury. Anything yes. else? Less alcohol to the bourbon point. I think everybody knows sure. that, though. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No cigarettes. <laughs> right. You know, all the fun stuff. All right. Let's move on to Gretchen's question. Hi, my name is Gretchen Hoke, and I have a question about electrolytes and hydration. And I was wondering, when you look at electrolyte drinks and all the different options that are out there, some of them have sea salt, and some of them have sodium citrate, and some of them have sodium bicarbonate. And I've read things in the past where sometimes the bicarbonate and the citrate are easier on your stomach when you're running long, especially. But are they the same as sea salt in terms of being good for hydration and keeping your electrolytes up while you're running? So it all kind of seemed sort of confusing to me. And I know you guys have talked hydration before, but I was wondering if you could get more specific about 
the ingredients and the differences and the types of sodium that you see on some of these products. Thank you. I'm going to jump in on this one again. It's like greenwashing, like sea salt is like somehow better because it says sea in front of it. Like it's natural. Like someone goes out there with a cloth, dries it, and then creates the, the salt from it. It's sodium. It's all, it's all sodium. It's, it's how, like, it's just processed. Am I right, Megan? I mean, to be honest, I've never looked this closely into things, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Megan. You know, as I was listening, I'm like, Gretchen, Gretchen, you're making me look at things I've never looked at either, right? <laughs> so I'm in exactly you, your boats. I was like, honestly, I, don't, I couldn't even have told you, you know, I love scratch. I couldn't even told you what sodium was in scratch, right? Like, I look at the amount, but I've never really dug deep into like what's the source of it, but you know me, curious mind, had to dig deep and figure out, you know, what it was. So I pulled out every single hydration drink I had in my cupboard, which people send me stuff, so I had lots, um, to see like which ones used each one. And what I found was like all the more popular ones and the ones that I always feel like, oh, this sits really well in my stomach were the sodium citrate, so that's what Scratch uses. Uh, the Gatorade Endurance had that, Noon Endurance, the Ucan Hydrate, um, those are the ones that were in my my closet. Um, those all use sodium citrate. So I'm like, all right, you know, I the founder of Scratch is a genius, if you ask me. I love to hear him talk about hydration and the science behind it. So I'm like, all right, if they're using sodium citrate, I bet there's a reason. So as I dug a little bit deeper, yeah, it sounds like it's a little bit more gentle on our stomach. And when we actually look at the absorption, so we absorb most sodium at like the end of our small intestine, like into our large intestine. So they can do studies mostly on animals to look at like where, how much of what we're taking in is actually absorbed. And at least in the rat study I found, which, you know, rats, humans, a little bit different, um, the sodium citrate, you did absorb more of it. So the thought would be, could we stay a little bit better hydrated if our product had sodium citrate in it? Probably. But at the same time, you know, taking a bigger, like, global step back, we just need to make sure we're getting some sodium in our sports drinks and that it works for us. Um, I did find it interesting, though. There, none of them had quote unquote sea salt, but a lot of them just listed salt, which is sodium chloride, which technically is the same thing as sea salt, really. Um, the Pedialyte Sport, that LMNT that's really popular all of a sudden, um, and then Liquid IV all used the quote unquote salt. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I have had some people have GI issues with the Pedialyte Sport, so I'm like, I don't know, do we try switching them to a sodium citrate? Like it's getting the wheels turning, right? Like could this be a little element that like if something doesn't work for somebody, we look into? Um, perhaps, right? But uh, I think the fact that this was never on my radar leads me to believe it's probably not a huge, huge difference. But I mean, pretty interesting to take a look at it. Okay, and then the you noted that sodium bicarbonate is in noon. Oh, yeah, this was interesting. So sodium bicarbonate was in noon, but when you look up why, they put the sodium bicarbonate in there. Yep, and then when it blends with the citric acid, when it hits the water, that's what makes it bubble, and then apparently it converts it into sodium citrate. Who knew? Oh. Yeah. So to get back to Gretchen's question, essentially we're saying – Sodium citrate may be a little easier on the stomach, but the more important factor here is to make sure that you are getting the right amount of sodium for your sweat rate. Absolutely. Nailed it. Okay. Let's move on to Matthew's question. Hey, I had a question about running fasted. So it's summer. It's hot. I usually just want to get out the door in the morning, get my run in before work, before it gets even hotter. 
and I don't usually eat anything before I go out. Also, you know, I don't necessarily want to eat anything before a workout because sometimes I can get some gut issues. So I usually just have breakfast after. Um, but I'm curious what the impact on my training is uh, to run fasted all the time. Thanks. This sounds like a question for graham cracker feathers. Right. So thank you, Matthew, for reaching out with this question because I know a lot of people have this question. Um, and nothing against your comment, but I'm going to call some BS on not being able to eat before we go out and run in the morning. I don't care how early you're trying to get out that front door. Truthfully, you can find something that sits well for you that you can get out the door, whether it's a glass of scratch, whether it's a couple graham crackers. I've had people say graham crackers don't even sit well for them, but you know what works? Like saltines or Ritz crackers or a handful of pretzels or a gel. I have some people who will use a A gel in the morning. A cookie. Is that what you said? (laughs) A cookie. I yeah. like a cookie. Right. Like, let's just get something in our system, whether it's a beverage, whether it's food, um, to really get things started in the morning so that we're not running fasted. Um, and honestly, if it starts with something super, super small, like one cracker, right, and we scale up to a serving or two of crackers, um, let's just really get get rolling. Because there is some phenomenal research that running fasted every single day um, is not great for our body. There's a lot out there that says, like, from the fasted proponents that'll say, like, oh, it increases fat oxidation, you know, it increases how many, you know, mitochondria we have, which are like the powerhouses of energy creation in our bodies. And there's like some some people that talk about some of the positive, but I see the impacts of the negative side of it so often that I think it's important to understand some of the risks that come along with perpetually running in a fasted state, um, you know. One is muscle breakdown, right? So we know that our muscle breakdown is like one and a half times that if we're running fasted constantly versus if we've had something, you know, to eat beforehand, which to me that is almost counterintuitive. If if we're trying to oxidize more fat, maybe weight loss is a concern. But if we're breaking down lean muscle mass, like that's going to decrease our metabolism. Like this isn't a good situation. Plus it delays recovery afterwards. So if we're in like a big training cycle or we're trying to build volume or build more intensity, you know, our, our recovery is really going to take a hit with that. Megan, you used to run fasted all the time. I did. And so like kind of give like a background on, because you were one of those people that was like, I don't want to eat before I go. Yeah, we were, I mean, it was also a slightly different lifestyle. I think the pandemic changed our lifestyle a little, but um, it was super early. I didn't, I just didn't want to eat anything. I just wanted to get out and go for my run and come back and then eat. Um, and I do think the recovery was a piece of that, that I just didn't realize was related, mm-hmm. but I know now I recover so much faster than I ever did. Yeah. And I, I started like, I didn't even realize before, like, as I would, I would do a thing of scratch or something before I go out just to have a little bit of something in, in my stomach. But I started doing the graham cracker thing that you suggested, and that, that seems to help. Um, and what it's done for me is during the run, there's usually when I ran fasted, there was a certain point. If I had to run seven miles, it would be mile six would just start to feel a little bit like the power was going out. And I don't know if it's psychological or what, but it seemed to get fixed when I started using um, some nutrition before the run. And so now I'm pretty conscious about it. So on the weekdays, if I'm in a hurry or something, I'll grab a graham cracker or, you know, 
do some scratch and then get out the door pretty quickly. Like you can, you can be munching on a graham cracker as you're starting your run. It's that easy. Mm -hmm. But, um, on the weekends, I do like to get up an hour or two before my run. And especially if I know I'm going to be running a longer run, double digits or something like that. I love my bagel and my, uh, you know, coffee before I go for the run. Yeah. But you bring up a good point about the morning. On a weekday run where we're heading out the door, we don't have to eat as much as we would before a long run, right? So to your point, Thomas, like it is good to get up a little bit earlier if we're going to eat a little bit more beforehand. Um, you know, so maybe that's a piece of what's holding Matthew or other people back that they think they need to get up earlier. But honestly, sleep is too important if you're running in the morning. Like I don't want people getting up early every single day to eat, you know, maybe one day a week, like Thomas is saying on the weekend, but not not every day. Um, the other thing with running fasted too that I think, you know, I know we're finally coming out of the COVID era, but for a while, everyone was very, very concerned about immunity, right? Like, what do we do to boost our immunity? What do I need to eat? How does this change? You know, long runs, intense exercise, you know, decreases our immunity. And if we're doing it fasted, it decreases it even more. So our potential of like picking some crud up, you know, that we're exposed to after an hour or two after a run that's been strenuous and fasted, it's just so much, so much higher, you know? So it's like, if we're really concerned about immunity you know if we get sick we miss two weeks of training you know that it's almost like it's looking at how does fuel help us you know stay healthy not only physically healthy not getting injured but also you know from immunity standpoint okay awesome so matthew try some graham crackers if you don't want food try a scoop of scratch that's easy enough just a little and if you don't like scratch there's other other uh, like drink mixes that you could have or something like that before the run. What are some other ones? Uh... Tailwind's another really popular one. A lot of people are using mm-hmm. Tailwind. Um, Noon Endurance is one that I like that has some sugar in it. Gatorade Endurance, there's nothing wrong with that either. Okay, our next question is from Michelle and it's kind of related. So this is interesting. Hi, this is Michelle calling from Vermont. I've been learning a lot from the podcast. Really love it. Here's my question. There seems to be an emerging trend on social media and other outlets about occasional training on low or no carbohydrates, sometimes called a depletion run, for better race performance. I understand the idea is that your body will be challenged to burn more fat and spare carbohydrates during the run, which will get you accustomed to training in the depleted state at the end of a race. Is there any truth to this? Should we occasionally be training on low or no carbohydrates on runs over 90 minutes for better race performance? Thanks. You know what's interesting about this question is that we just interviewed um, Christina Welsh on the Drop podcast, who was a very interesting character. Um, She went from a 329 to a 233, but she talked about how she had done a few depletion runs. She absolutely hated them, Mm -hmm. but... It's something that people are doing. Right. And I think the one thing that like really like I just want to grab from, you know, what Michelle was saying was teach our body how to run into a depleted state that it's going to be in at the end of a race. Who says your body has to be in a depleted state at the end of the race? Like if you carb load well and fuel well, you should never be depleted. You should be finishing as strong as you started, if not stronger, you know? So yes, I have perhaps a little bit of a different view than people who are going out and doing depleted runs by saying that, Um, you know, and there's science there to show that it could potentially improve, you know, our fat oxidation um, and allow our bodies to switch into mobilizing more fat early. I mean, there is some fascinating science on it, but um, 
you know, is that the best way to improve performance? You know, from my standpoint, if we're going to gain more fitness from a well-fueled run, then we're going to gain any small metabolic adaptation from a depleted run. You know, we can push ourselves harder, faster, stronger if we're well-fueled, whereas, you know, your example of the person that had done the depletion runs that felt like crap out there, like, you're not gaining fitness. You're trying to get some sort of met- metabolic adaptation that you hope benefits you in the future for that little half percent, you know, performance improvement, um, and you're miserable the whole time. And to our answer from Matthew's question, it decreases our immunity, it increases our risk of injury, it decreases our recovery. You know, since Michelle's calling in on this one, the biggest thing I worry about depletion runs, fasted runs with females is it screws up with their hormones. Like women can screw up their hormones much easier than men. Like men are a little bit more resilient when it comes to hormones. Like they're not going to have negative impacts from their hormones from fasted runs as soon as women women will. Um, so like, is it worth it? Right? You know, we work so hard to try to keep our hormones in a in a healthy state for bone health and you know overall metabolism and all that kind of stuff. So do we want to be doing these depleted runs that are just putting our body in a huge energy deficit with a lot? of stress on our body that we just know is not great you know for our hormones you guys don't remember the 80s and 90s but there was a time where people used to strap weights to their ankles and then go for a run with thinking that if i take the weights off i'll it'll feel so much lighter and i'll be able to run so much faster but it, it there's gimmicks that people try to cheat the system with ankle weights with i mean you could just buy heavier shoes if that's the case and and i would say from us hmm. testing running shoes that heavy running shoes and then switching to lighter shoes it feels better you feel lighter but if you just run in light running shoes all the time and work on your form and work on stuff you're still going to be fine i totally agree i think those are some good analogies here um i do i think people are looking for like a shortcut or an easy way out and it's like we know what works or it's a hard way out yeah it's like let me punish myself I'm going to flog myself. Well, I think part of the allure to this depletion run is that it makes you look mentally strong and tough and like you don't need anything extra. And I think and that's part of it. And I think people want to lose weight. So it's like I'm doing a depletion sure. run. It's for me to be stronger, but I also didn't take in any calories. I'm trying to get ripped and jacked and look, you know, svelte. Um, and they think that this one run is going to do that. But as soon as they drink a gallon of water, it's like bloop, right back to where you were. <laughs> I did a depletion run before, like, depletion runs were cool because I was curious about it. And I didn't feel mentally strong, tough, or amazing. I felt like I wanted to cry the whole time. I was starving, and I got lost because I got so confused, probably because I didn't have enough sugar going to my (laughs) brain. I was on an out-and-back trail, and I still got lost. Like, it was not pretty. It was awful. And I said, I will never do this again. I felt terrible. I'm like, this is not how I want my runs to feel. Like, I run for fun, not for punishment, you know? But let me give one more thing. When you ran like that, you weren't running your best performance. No. You were, your body was wrecked. Yep. You weren't running well. It was depleted, It like they say, and your muscles were getting trashed from mm-hmm. doing it. Now, if you had gone out properly fueled, you would have run faster. You would have run better form. You would have gained muscle instead of losing muscle. There's all these benefits that I think that people are trying to avoid because they think somehow they're luxuries and they're going to get, they're going to gain weight or they're not going to, you know, 
be tough. Mm-hmm. But if you can feel good and run faster and you're those days where you go out and you go, I can't believe it. The pace just felt easy. That's because you're well fueled. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, people, fuel your runs. Or I'll get angry. <laughs> There's no need for I'm depletion really runs. I'm angry over here. Eat a snack before two. <laughs> okay, next up is Julie. Hi, my name's Julie. I'm from Sacramento, California, and I love your podcast. My question is, is... I have been overweight most of my adult life and obese as a child, and now in my mid-30s, I'm training for an Ironman. I've done a couple of half Ironmans and run a couple of marathons, and I'm really struggling um, trying to figure out how much food to eat without gaining weight. I keep hearing you say, eat more for so many different various reasons, um, for performance, for hormone balance, etc. And just wondering if you have any tips on how to really understand how much is enough um, for performance and hormones and everything um, without gaining weight. Okay, thanks. Bye. This one's a tricky one. I feel like we just flipped the tables. Yeah. (laughs) We sure did. That's what's fun about this one. It's like rapid fire questions. I like um, this one because this is one that we we have talked about <clears throat> for that. What are you trying to do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are the goals, right? And, you know, she didn't specifically say she was trying to lose weight. She said she was trying not to gain weight while she's training, right? Which we know is very common. Um, when we take that mindset of I've burned X amount of calories so I can eat that back, Right. We've talked about that before, that that's really not the best mentality, because if we're truly fueling well, we're doing extra the night before, the morning of, during, after. So if we're trying to eat them all back, we end up eating too much, you know. So I think the first thing is to kind of investigate, like, what is that mentality? Like, is it a healthy mentality of, you know, exercising for the benefit of, you know, completing the the Ironman, the half Ironman, or is it for like earning calories, right? Because we want to try to drop that like earning piece of it and really focus on fueling well. Um, I mean, to me, it sounds like she's, she's trying to find that balance. And, and I understand where she's saying she wants to perform well, but she wants to know how does she determine when she's fueling too much or too little, which I think can be very difficult because I'll tell you what, right now we're in a cycle where I'm trying to shed some weight versus uh, gain. And I can feel it in the performance of my runs. Like I, like I had a speed work this past weekend on Saturday and I just didn't have the giddy up in, in the speed work. And I'm like, is this nutrition based? And then I'm like, I'm liking the direction things are going do I need to adjust and change if I want to perform? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge piece, right? Is like, what's the most important? Is it body comp? Is it performance? Um, you know, it seems like with Julie, it, it probably is performance. And I think we take a look at nutrition as a whole. You know, if she was like, hey, Megan, help me. You know, what are we doing well? Are we eating before workouts? How are we doing during? What are we doing after? What does the balance of our meals look like? So those are kind of the different, like the surrounding of, a workout nutrition and then also just the daily nutrition within meals and within snacks and like is the balance appropriate there or does that balance need to change right like I'll often ask people what 
if there's something you think is hanging you up or a part of your day that you feel like is getting in the way of your success, what would that be? Most people can identify that. It's I snack too much before dinner. I snack too much after dinner. I go too long without eating in the morning. It's kind of identifying some of those things to make sure that we're honing in on the right pieces so that we're giving our body the amount of energy it needs when it needs it so that we can trust it when it tells us it's hungry, right? When it's hungry, when it's full. Like if we're dialing in appropriate nutrition throughout the day and supporting our workouts well, you know, I think the ultimate goal, you know, for Julie would be to figure out like, all right, if I'm hungry, that means my body's burning more energy today and I need to eat a snack, right? And what does a balanced snack look like for me? And, you know, when is the next meal? And really thinking about it very intentionally um, and, and just knowing the pieces and the parts of what my body needs for what it's trying to do, which takes, you know, some education, which it sounds like she probably has if she's been paying attention to, you know, nutrition throughout her life and as her body has changed. Um, and, you know, but I think it, it can. It's a lifelong journey, right? Like I still find myself questioning what I'm doing and am I doing it right and does this need to be different and what's my body telling me? And I think it's just an ongoing journey um, for all of us, truthfully. Is there a formula though? Like is there a, like I weigh this, I'm doing this much activity, this is what I should be looking at as far as calorie intake and how that splits out? There is. There is. Um, there's lots of different calorie expenditure equations that are out there. Um, I use one that's called Mifflin St. Jor the most, and then that would give you like your baseline energy needs for the day. And then how much you're burning on top of it, you would put in like, you know, whether that's miles per week that you're running and divide it out by seven days of the week, you know, so there's just different ways that we can kind of estimate what that looks like, um, per person. Um, which is helpful in some ways, right? If we're like counting calories, but for a lot of people, that doesn't mean anything either. Like, all right, cool. I need 2,600 calories today. What's that look like in food form? You know? So it's really trying to figure out how to translate to. And then are there signs either way, whether she's doing well or not doing well, that your body's like either super tired or maybe you're like just not feeling well. Is there any signs that would tell her she's nailing it or not? That's a really good point too, right? So fatigue, would be huge recovery right if you're really tired all the time if you're not recovering well we're not nailing something we're either underdoing it from a nutrition standpoint or we're not timing things right um hunger right if we're hungry constantly that's not normal we're missing something we're either missing an element of our nutrition um if we're never hungry that's probably not normal either unless we're on a medication that's decreasing our appetite you know maybe we are overdoing it if we never feel hungry for days on end um you know maybe that could be something else and then you know just overall energy level like to thomas's point about like when we're going out there and we're hitting a workout do we feel like we have the energy to put into that that we feel like we should have right or does everything feel like a grind does everything feel hard you know those are things that shouldn't feel like normal. paces that you yeah. normally can mm-hmm. hit if those paces seem like you're struggling with mm-hmm. i feel like that's a good sign my mm-hmm. question is is there any like i feel like it's julia right julie yeah julie i feel like julie is looking for an answer to her question that's like a formula or something like that and i hear you talking and i'm hearing there isn't an exact formula is this a case where if she wants to really figure this out, she should be working with a dietitian or working with somebody in your field that can like maybe help set up some like like a diet where they could monitor, okay, here's how you felt this day, mm-hmm. here's what's going on, and maybe work with her to figure out the right ratio? Yeah, yeah, because it sounds like, you know, 
over a lifespan of changing weight, right? Whether it's gaining weight, losing weight, really trying to figure out like where is my healthiest weight, right? Like I was like, this is a kid. I'm like this now. Is this the best? All that kind of stuff. There's so many questions with your nutrition. Am I doing this right? What what do I need for this? Like, and then you add exercise in, and you're like, well, what do I need? You know? So for her, you know, in her case, it might be really nice to have somebody to be like, here, this is probably what your body needs. Let's try it. Let me know how you feel. Let's adjust. Let's check in weekly and find out how was your energy. How are your workouts? How are you sleeping? This part looks great. Like, let's make sure we have something different here, you know, and and as you work with somebody and start to nail that down, each person is going to put those things together. All right. I felt the best when I was eating this way. I felt the best when I was doing this. And then that solidifies new habits and behaviors for the future. So, you know, it could just be kind of relearning those connections between how we feel, how we perform, what we're eating, when we're eating, and just kind of having someone guide her through that. Perfect. Okay, our next one is, it was a good tangent off into this, is from Bree. This episode of Fuel for the Soul is sponsored by Inside Tracker. We all use Inside Tracker to check our general health through training and to make sure we're set up for success come race day. Thomas, give everyone a little more information about Inside Tracker. All right, Inside Tracker is a personalized nutrition platform that uses blood work to create a science-backed plan to help you reach your potential for better performance and a longer, healthier life. You can learn more about the product by going to InsideTracker.com. And for a limited time, InsideTracker is offering our listeners 20% off their entire store. Just go to InsideTracker.com slash fuel. Hi team, I really enjoyed the podcast. uh, And I have a question that I don't think has been answered on any previous episodes. I am wondering what to do about being hungry all the time when marathon training. I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting enough carbs, protein, fat, and fiber, and timing, um, applying all those other wonderful things that you've talked about on past episodes. But I'm just so hungry, and I find I get way hungrier at night, which I know you've also talked about on past episodes. Um, So what is a way to help me feel full throughout the day and make sure that I'm eating enough uh, to fuel all my workouts over the next couple of months? It sounds like a fiber thing. I don't know. <laughs> fiber keeps I thought it was, it was protein that keeps you full. It does. There's a lot of things that keep us full. Protein's going to keep us full okay. the longest. Fiber also helps keep us full. Fat helps keep us full. If we don't eat any carbs, we're never going to feel full. So they all kind of play a role. Absolutely. And honestly, I mean, they was loud and clear from Brie. Like, I am constantly hungry. So to me, that means you are definitely not eating enough right? Like if you are constantly feeling hungry when you're training and every single night you're hungry, my thought is she probably doesn't fully grasp and understand how much energy her body actually needs. So maybe it's not like she's purposely underfueling, but perhaps she just doesn't realize, no, my body actually needs significantly more nutrition than I'm giving it on a daily basis. Um, and then once you figure out like is adequacy good and we're still having moments of feeling hungry you know like she mentioned we've talked about it a lot on the show like timing throughout the day making sure we're surrounding our workouts with adequate nutrition and then the balance of meals so some people are eating plenty of total calories total energy but to megan's point if they're not eating any protein at their meals or if they're, you know, that balance isn't there, there's no fiber in these meals, we do feel really hungry really quickly after a meal. Like, 
yeah, I always say like grab a Pop-Tart before you run. But if I ate two Pop-Tarts for breakfast, I'd be starving in an hour, right? There's like no protein in those. Um, so balance of nutrition is also super important um, alongside adequacy. You gave me, I was telling you that I was getting hungry before lunchtime. So I, I would eat and I was eating a, a fairly nice sized breakfast. So I'd have a, you know, my graham cracker or whatever before my run, I have my coffee. I would uh, do a bake with a thing of yogurt and fruit and, and everything like that. So I was, I was felt like I was eating enough food, but then I was like at 1130, I'm like, geez, I can't wait till it's lunchtime. I'm going to start, start wanting to eat now. And which made me hungry in the afternoon. And then, you know, it was like a, a, a thing. So you, at, you said to add in some protein. So I ended up like, if I had, uh, if I'm going to have a bagel, uh, egg, egg and cheese or something for breakfast, I'll add in a little single serving of yogurt. So I'm having the yogurt and uh, which before I would have just had the egg and cheese sandwich or whatever. Uh, and now adding in the yogurt, I'm like, okay. So it just set myself up for the rest of the day, not to feel as hungry. And I, I did feel like I would get through lunch and then I would get through dinner and I don't have a problem snacking after dinner. Um, so it just seemed like, getting that first meal hitting it a little bit more on the heavy side kind of like helped my entire day but yeah. i also run in the morning yeah like nailing that morning meal after a run is huge There's, they've done tons of tons of studies on that too where they actually look at like the imagery in your brain and like how much you're craving certain foods and what your appetite looks like and if you nail that breakfast nutrition with adequate protein enough calories enough fiber it actually makes us less interested in food as the day goes on versus usually the stress of the day the anxiety of the day the fatigue that builds over the day by the end of the night we're like screw this give me the snacks right so like actually watching morning and that breakfast meal, like Thomas was just talking about, um, can actually set us up to not feel that way at night if that is how we're feeling. And it sounds like maybe Brie was feeling that way. Yeah, I found, like we talk about this a lot on this podcast, but like the padding of around your runs, like before, during, after, if you can really nail that nutrition, I feel like you're setting yourself up much better for the rest of the day. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, like, that's where your biggest energy expenditure is. So why do we want to like save our calories for later? Like give your body what it needs when it needs it. And then it's not going to go awry and wacky from, you know, hunger cues the rest of the day. So chances are Brie is probably, whether intentional or not, not eating enough if, she's, hung if she's hungry all of the time. So probably check her baseline to start with. And then maybe the frequency and the timing and balance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, our next one comes from Lars. Hi, my name's Lars, and I deal a lot with slashy stomach. I'm a triathlete, uh, focusing mostly on the 70.3 distance right now. Um, and I've noticed that I will be on the bike, and I tend to sip water or some sort of electrolyte drink throughout the bike. Um, but then by the time I get to the run, I can't even run because I feel like I'm going to puke. Um, so I wonder, is there something with overhydration? I know slashy stomach is usually caused by dehydration, but could it possibly be that I am overhydrated or am I really not just drinking as much as I really think I am? All right, Megan, teach us your wisdom about hydrating. 
This one sounds miserable. Like, that would be the worst case scenario. Like, you're sucking down all these fluids on your bike and you go to run and it's like slosh, 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 slosh. Um, So I think it could be either, right? So if we're dehydrated, it delays gastric emptying. So if she's not drinking enough, it could potentially make things slosh more. If she's drinking way too much too fast, that obviously is going to slosh more. We literally just can't process that much fluid. But kind of my gut, I've worked with some people with sloshy stomach, and it can be really tricky to figure out what the heck is causing it. Um, But my thought would be the first thing to kind of investigate here is the makeup of the the sports drink that we're drinking is going to affect gastric emptying. So if it's too concentrated, like if you mix it and you don't put enough water in it, that could cause a problem. Or if you're drinking plain water and you're not getting enough electrolytes, that could cause a problem. So I would play around with like the type of drink that she's using to make sure that there's enough sodium, some sugar. And then if we can figure out what her sweat rate is, have her weigh in and out around a bike ride, figure out what that looks like, we can figure out exactly how many ounces she should be trying to drink per hour on the bike. So we could get pretty methodical about that. So that would kind of be the first step. And honestly, if they're still having issues, the other things that could potentially lead to that is like, if your pre-race meal is too high in fiber or fat, so it's hanging around in your stomach for too long. Um, the one I had one client, it was like a mystery to figure out her sloshing. And we actually figured out her sloshing was better if she had some solid food in her stomach before a run. Like if she ate a bagel, she did better than if she had a couple graham crackers. Like she needed a little bit of substance. So like you could always try that too, right? If you're do, using all gels, maybe you do need like a granola bar in there, you know? So all of these things kind of almost contradict each other, but... Um, it really takes a lot of trial and error, truthfully. But I think the first thing to hone in on is the type of fluid she's using and really understanding how much her body needs per hour and really trying to stick to that goal. Yeah, when I heard this question, I immediately thought, like, the ratio of salt to water is off. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. And yeah, 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 I agree. That would be the first thing I would try for sure, knowing yeah. what I know now and have, having gone through the sweat test and knowing I'm a very salty sweater. And you, have you had slashing in like a racer training at all or no? I like very rarely I would get it sometimes, but I haven't yeah. since I can remember. Yeah. So good luck, Lars. Give some trial and error there. Yes, for sure. All right. Our last question today comes from Florian. Let's take a listen. Hello there. Um, first of all, a great podcast. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's great. My name is Florian. And I'm from Germany, but since last year, I'm located in Japan. Over here, um, nutritional products um, from the US or Europe, like Martin, are super expensive. So I had to look look for a Japanese alternative to fuel my runs, training and races. I hope to do the Osaka Marathon end of uh, February. And, uh, well, I found one that works well with with me. It's called Winzone. And... um, I just have a question about one ingredient in it. It's hydroxy citric acid. Um, it's supposed to make uh, use of energy and fat more efficient, but when I Google it, I only find weight loss supplements. Uh, what do you think of it? Could it be helpful? Is it just marketing or might it be uh, negative for health? Uh, looking forward for your opinion. Thanks. So that's weird. They're putting a uh, weight loss ingredient in their nutrition but yes. you tell me is that weird like, florian this question like blew my mind i was like you're kidding me they're putting this in gels like so i looked it up because i'm like maybe I, I don't know like maybe there's 
something missing here, right? So I looked it up, and sure enough, it's like energy gels for long-distance running, just like we would grab a Martin, right? They're grabbing these wind zone gels, um, and they do. They have this hydroxy citric acid in it, which probably means nothing to most of us. But if you guys remember, like, I don't know, was it 10 years ago on the Dr. Oz show, he was touting this new weight loss supplement called um, Garcinia Cambogia. Do you guys ever that remember sounds- hearing about that? From- I thought you were gonna about to talk about hydroxy cut. <laughs> well, Do you no, remember that's, that. The, yeah, but this is what was in hydroxy. Okay. Cut. Yeah, yeah, you're right too. Yeah. So it was like this new. It's like this compound they found in the rind of some plant in some country, and it was gonna help us all lose weight. So that's what this substance is. People might have just heard it, you know, from a different thing, or like you're saying, Meg, what was in hydroxy cut, you know, is exactly what they had added to that. So it's a supplement. It's unregulated. If you look it up, like there's a, a nutrient database that, you know, all dietitians have access to to look up supplements like this or ingredients to see, like, what are the studies on it? What are the adverse effects? Like, what's the FDA saying about it? Like, all that kind of stuff. So when you look up hydroxy citric acid, there's all sorts of stuff about liver damage and, like, probably not something we want to be taking while we're running. Definitely not a supplement I would recommend for anybody. Um, So it was kind of honestly blowing my mind that they were adding this into their gels. There was a little like blurb on it might increase fat oxidation. So I think that's probably why it was put into this kind of back to some of our earlier conversations today that like if we can tap into fat oxidation, we're saving our carbs for later. I'm thinking that's probably why this company decided to add it, you know, if I had to try to put some logic into it. But, you know, Florian, I I know we didn't answer your question right away, but I hope you found a different gel to use for your race at the end of the month. Actually, it would have been February. That was last month. Um, But yeah, I think this is his line of thinking was great. So everybody who's listening used the same line of thinking. What is this ingredient? I don't recognize it. Could it be helpful or harmful? And we asked questions about it. So I thought that was kind of cool that he reached out with that. It's so crazy. And the only reason that they would put that in there is because of a potential fat oxidization or whatever. Like, yeah. that's wild. Yeah. yeah. It's nuts. But for marketing, that sounds great. Yeah. Our gel is the only gel that helps you possibly oxidize fat. I noticed they were sold out when I looked at them on their website. I don't know if that's because they're not making them anymore or if they're really that popular. Are there, though, because he was concerned about the expense of the Martin gels. Megan, are there alternatives that you would recommend? I mean, I would have to, like, look and see. I've had some clients in other countries, and we literally just, like, scour. I'll be like, go to the grocery store, take pictures of what you can find. Or go to your, you know, what can you find? Let's look at it and see what the best option is. Because, honestly, it's, like, kind of all over the place. Yeah. All right. That does it for today. Thank you, everyone who submitted a question for us to answer. We love receiving your questions and answering them here on the podcast. If you, How do you do that? If you have a question that did not get answered today, you can send us an audio message on Anchor. You just click the message button on there, or you can email us at fuel for the soul podcast at gmail.com because as you guys saw today we like to hear your voices and your questions so leave us your voices with your great questions peas and carrots all right bye (laughs) see ya
saying? Citrate. I think of uh, oranges and shit. <laughs> Wait, why, why are you getting upset about saying shit on this? Like of all the things. Because it right. rolled out without my permission. I did of not know things. that was coming out. <laughs> like he was like just <laughs> devastated that he just said that. Oh, no shit. Not on Instagram. It was, it was because it wasn't... Un- it wasn't normally when I say something, I mean to say it. That one just rolled right out. You're like, wow. Yeah. Orange shit. Okay, where Citrus. were we? 